Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiologist. I'm a sports nutritionist. And I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. I'm running solo in the beginning of this special episode today. We're just going to share some listener mail and some news, like usual. Uh, And then we're going to do an Arnold Fitness Weekend pre-event kind of episode. Uh, Phil actually took, uh, well, his phone to record some comments and anticipations and things like that uh, on the road trip to Columbus, Ohio for what's arguably the biggest fitness event of the calendar. Uh, And again, just to kind of check in with his thoughts and the people that uh, he's traveling with. So, but I digress. Let's do uh, just a little bit of mail and news. Strength and muscle sport news. This first bit of mail I got from Dr. Nelson, um, I'll probably end up checking in with him and get his comments on it uh, in a week or two as well. Basically, it is this. This comes from, well, Dr. Nelson and um, Andrew. So, Andrew says, Hi, gentlemen. First, Iron Radio is amazing. As a veteran of the fitness industry and a longtime and frequent harasser of Mike Nelson for quotes and expertise, I can't believe it's taken me this long to discover what you guys have been doing for 10 plus years. Better late than never, I suppose, and now I have another 400 episodes to catch up on, so thank you for what you're doing. Question. Uh, I've never heard you guys discuss, uh, are we limited in the amount of energy that we can burn in a day? A 2016 study entitled Constrained Energy Theory puts forward a hypothesis that we are They measured movement and energy expenditure across a wide range of populations, including a hunter-gatherer tribe, and found that per pound of body weight, everyone burns about the same number of calories daily, regardless of whether they are tracking game over miles of rough terrain or sitting at a desk or, or doing something in between. The study shows an uptick in calorie burn when you go from sedentary to active, but no additional calorie burn when you go from active to super active. So he's describing this non-linear relationship, right? It's not endlessly more and more and more expenditure uh, gain, like net, you know, negative uh, expenditure by just doing more and more beyond a certain point. Long, arduous workouts don't burn additional fat, according to this theory, but they cut into calories budgeted for other functions like reproduction, cognition, digestion, and tissue repair. And I have some thoughts on that, but bear with me. Um, This is head spinning, but it also seemed to make sense. People seem to burn a few pounds off at the beginning of a new workout program. Then they find a new slightly lower quote-unquote normal, uh, which they maintain uh, unless they change their diet, regardless if they bump up their exercise even further thereafter. Though this may seem discouraging uh, to some people, I see a few advantages to this. Uh, One, it's more evidence for the old adage that you can't out-train a bad diet something that Andrew says people need to hear. Uh, More importantly, 
Uh, it also could help deter people uh, with body image issues, for example, uh, who might otherwise be inclined to exercise obsessively and excessively. So what are your thoughts on this study and its implications? Thanks so much, Andrew. Okay, Andrew, here's my take on this at least, and we'll catch up, we'll harass Dr. Nelson some more uh, in the near future. Uh, one, this study isn't a true experimental design when you dig into it, and I'm sure you understand that. Um, so it's not causal. Uh, now, they did use good methodology. Uh, I'm not going to bore people uh, with how they measure energy expenditure, but what they did was legitimate. Um, but again, it's not like they took two groups and had them ec one exercise more and more and more and then see did their, let's say, basal metabolic rate start to drop to compensate, right, an equal amount. That I would want to see something like that, a direct comparison with one group who trains their butt off and another who doesn't and see if you still get that, that plateau, right, that nonlinear kind of effect where eventually, you know, you're just not getting much bang for the buck out of more and more uh, physical activity. Um, if this is true, to me, it reinforces something that I was just talking to students about, which is exercise is not simply anti-eating. So much of the, and again, no offense to um, Andrew, because I think he is one, but no offense to the science journalists out there, but some of them are bad. And they have the public believing that exercise is anti-eating, right? How long do I have to jog to burn off this bagel? That kind of thing. To me, it's missing the point, and this paper helps make my point, I think, that it's the adaptations that exercise imbues. It's not just the calorie drain. In other words, you build more capillaries and mitochondria, so you become a better fat burner. That's going to change your body composition over time. So the effects of training, sure, some of it's the calorie expenditure, but only up to a point. And again, that's what this study is sort of um, supporting. Um, it's really the adaptations that we're after, not just the during, you know, mid-exercise calorie expenditure and not even necessarily the non-exercise physical activity, right? The NEPA or what's sometimes called NEAT, the non-exercise activity thermogenesis. Uh, it's not just about that. It's about changing from the subcellular level all the way up. So more mitochondria, more Krebs cycles and electron transport activity within those mitochondria, right? More fat burning, more beta oxidation in those mitochondrial furnaces, things like that. More capillaries to bring in the oxygen and, yes, the fat that you mobilize from your love handles. Um, a, a more voluminous left ventricle so you can move blood more efficiently uh, and get the, that oxygen and those fuels down to the furnaces and your mitochondria to be burned. You get the point. There are many adaptations, hormonal adaptations, things like that. Uh, and I think that's the real reason we need to push exercise, not looking at it like it's just a calorie drain. Because, again, this study sort of supports that. It's only going to drain calories in, in a net benefit kind of way up to a point. Um, now, as far as the claim in this theory, or at least the hypothesis, uh, that you would cut into calories budgeted for other functions, reproduction, cognition, digestion, tissue repair. Tissue repair, I can see that. I mean, when you look at people who are very overtrained, for example, and they are hyper expenditure kinds of people, um, they're not very muscularly large, you know. Um, it, nagging injuries hang around. There, that could be true. Um, some of these other things, I'm not quite as sure. When it comes to cognition, I'd have to look and see if there are any papers that 
you know, people with large calorie expenditures somehow have, you know, lower cognition, a lower IQ, if you will, or less, you know, um, memory, um, focus, concentration. There's a lot of simple computer type tests like the Stroop words test. Uh, and I wonder how people that are training their butts off, if, if they're actually lower in that. I would think they're not. Usually the body prioritizes the brain. I mean, to me, the hormone cortisol is almost evidence of that, right? Its job is to degrade, for example, muscle protein. And so you could eventually get blood glucose, convert it to blood glucose for your brain, for a fuel, right? It's, it's prioritizing your brain over your muscles. So your body tends to do that in large part. Um, you'll see huge changes, for example, in blood flow during intense exercise, but the brain doesn't get robbed the way that some other organs do. Um, so I don't think that you're going to budget calories away from your brain and cognition um, to somehow try to fix the hyper expenditure, right? To, to, in other words, to save all the energy expenditure for the exercise because you've got some ceiling, right? That's kind of what this study is saying. There's a ceiling on how much energy a person can burn every day, how many calories you can burn. I'm also not sure about digestion. Uh, digestion, uh, some of those absorptive processes are ATP dependent. They're energy dependent. And I think we would see serious, um, you know, maldigestion problems in people who exercise really hard. Now, there are GI issues in some people who overtrain or train really, really hard. But again, we would need a direct experimental design where you have a control group who's exercising none or some and compare that to hyper exercise, you know, expenditure people uh, and be able to actually document poor absorption of nutrients. Um, you know, do they have steatorrhea, which is sort of oily discharge diarrhea because of fat maldigestion, things like that. Um, and can you link that to the fact that their guts being robbed of energy, um, you know, your body is deprioritizing digestion like that. I, I'm not sure you're going to see a ton of that. Um, and then also reproduction, possibly. Um, you do see a fall in testosterone, for example, in people who overtrain. But again, now we're talking about sort of literal overtraining and not just high energy expenditure. So as you point out, Andrew, it's sort of head spinning uh, that this might be true. Um, we need experimental models to take a clo closer look. That's my opinion. Um, I will say this, though. Um, muscle soreness from a lot of exercise, at least from our listeners, uh, that would be one way to raise energy expenditure that was not movement. This study was based largely on movement. Uh, and one of the ways that you can get increased muscular energy expenditure without actually moving, because that's one of the things they touch on in this study, would be soreness. I've actually looked at this myself in the lab, and I've, I have other references that when you're sore, you're hypermetabolic to the tune of about 15%. In other words, your calorie burn is about 15% higher because of this quote-unquote injury uh, to your muscles. So, all right, that's about a 10-minute ramble about that. We'll see what Dr. Nelson has to say about this. Uh, but let me go on to one other paper before we catch up with Phil and his crew on the road. This is from Wilk and colleagues, brand new Polish study from the Journal of Sports Science and Medicine. The effects of eccentric cadence on power and velocity of the bar during the concentric phase of the bench press movement. So this is not nutritional at all. This is very much just sort of a 
kinesiology type look. Uh, it says, general studies have demonstrated that faster movement tempo in resistance training leads to an increase in muscle power, right? Speed strength, if you will. It's a good way to think about power in watts. Um, whereas lower movement speed is beneficial in the development of muscle strength and hypertrophy. So again, time under tension sort of idea. So this might be a nice comparison, I thought, between the powerlifting crowd, which is about explosiveness and speed strength, if you will, and the bodybuilders who don't care as much about that, and they want hypertrophy, right, and slower reps maybe. Um, so what they did was they looked at the eccentric phase, the lowering, and how long it took in seconds, the pause at the bottom, the concentric phase duration, and then the pause at the top. So eccentric, pause, then concentric, and pause. And again, in seconds. So what, what did they find? The velocity, this is one example, I'm not going to read the whole paper, but the velocity evaluated for the regular type of eccentric tempo, which they considered two seconds down and everything else pretty much instantaneous. Um, regular eccentric uh, did express an average bar velocity of 0.6 plus or minus 0.09 meters per second. So 0.6 meters per second of bar speed, if you will. Uh, and that was significantly higher if they did a longer eccentric um, contraction beforehand. So it says compared to the eccentric slow condition, which was six seconds down and everything else more or less instantaneous, uh, their bar speed was 0.52 plus or minus 0.08 meters per second. So instead of 0 0.60 meters per second, they went to 0.52 meters per second. So that looks like about a 13% drop uh, in subsequent bar speed, right, when you slow down the negative beforehand. Uh, they end by saying the main finding of this study indicates that the duration of the eccentric phase of the movement has a significant impact on the muscular power and velocity during the concentric phase of the movement. So I don't know if that's that surprising to anybody. To me, it looks like, well, if you're going to expend more effort, you know, fighting the contraction, you know, the, the bar all the way down with this slow negative beforehand, that's going to slow down the subsequent uh, upward rep in the bench, right? So... Uh, but interesting idea, and maybe some of you power lifters could use that. If you want to maximize power and velocity, you're not going to want to do a real slow grinding negative before you try to explode back upward, you know, or maybe in certain types of speed uh, training. And it's, you know, you hold the bar isometrically. Now, this wasn't isometric, but hold it just briefly before you explode back up. Because if you hold it, in this case, they're using, um, what did I say, uh, six seconds downward. Um that's enough. It's going to slow you down on the way up. So you don't want to do speed work blunted like that, I suppose. So just some thoughts from a study by Wilk and colleagues. Brand new stuff and how we might use and abuse the eccentric portion of a movement, you know, for growth versus uh, power mesocycles. All right. That's enough rambling out of me. Uh, we're going to go to break early. And when we come back, we're going to have on-the-road input from Phil and his crew just sort of handing around a recorder, right, the phone, and uh, giving their thoughts on what they hope to see or anything else really that comes to mind, I think, on their journey to the Arnold uh, Fitness Weekend.
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote-unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Hey everybody, this is Phil Stevens. I am co-host of Iron Radio. I'm a power lifter. I'm going to do some Highland Games again. I've done a bunch of other sports. I'm owner and head coach of Strength Guild and amongst other things. And with me we have... Dow Danes, a power lifter and pretty much nobody. <laughs> I'm Brian Hartzell and I'm I'm in the back seat. I'm just a, I'm a power lifter. We also have Felicia, but she's... she's just chilling, hanging out. We've got uh, on the road right now. I'd say we're one of the strongest vehicles in the country. So <laughs> we also have one of the strongest vehicles in the country, just to hold our big asses. Um, I don't know a combined total of uh, well, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, fifty. I don't know twelve hundred pounds or so of, of human split between four people. Anyways, we're heading to the Arnold, and uh, I don't know, we've been just having some conversations, and we're going to shoot the shit with you guys for a bit, and then give some Arnold predictions and things like that, but to start off, one of the things that we got to talking about, we were talking about Brian's training, so he just got done with that meet, everybody talked to him a couple weeks ago, where he squatted 903, deadlifted 903, and 
had a horrible bench in the mid fours. Right, Brian? Terrible. <laughs> and uh, just uh, talking about what's next and just training in general. And one of the things we got talking about was um, the base he has. So basically, Brian is big enough and strong enough that like he can squat 850 and not think about it and mess up. And we were talking about you can't squat a thousand and mess up. So basically we were talking about the base that's built versus, and now it's time to pick away the minutia, you know, to basically to get to a thousand, get to, get to 24, 2,500 pound total. It's not so much about the base now as it is getting everything spot on. So we're going to shoot the shit about that a little bit. And, uh, just the things we were talking about, like one thing, what initially got us talking about was his bench, right? So, and his shoulder issues, you know, he has some shoulder pain and, you know, Dow got to talking about, you know, one of the problems is probably is just a shoulder girdle and the way he holds himself and not, uh, basically Brian will lay down on the bench and just bench a lot of times until it gets to heavier attempts. So in training, a lot of times in training we're using submaximal weights and he's not using the form that like me or Dal would have to use in a training weight because we're not six three, four hundred pounds. <laughs> Brian gets away with things the average genetically not gifted human gets away with. So you want to touch on that a bit? Yeah, I mean we start out like Phil said, just talking about uh, his shoulder pain which led to he was using a slingshot and having shoulder issues because he had to keep his elbows in tight, which, as most people know, is is how you're supposed to bench. And it's not a knock on Brian. It's just he's been able to get away with uh, how he's moved for so long. And he's, he's benched like a bodybuilder for so many years that the the front of his, his rotator cuff has basically been interior rotated to where when he presses it causes an impingement unless when he, when he rotates his elbows in enough because he can't. His, the rear of his shoulders aren't strong enough to compensate for the front end and bring his shoulders back into alignment and really engage his lats to allow his shoulder to move in the right position. So when he's pressing, it causes an impingement in his shoulder girdle. And that, that got us to talking about how <laughs> with his training, he can lay down and bench you know, 315 to 365 for sets of 10 with no pain that way. So it doesn't ever register to him that he needs to change it up. But when it comes into a meet and he's having to squat on top of deadlift, on top of bench, and those muscles are getting more and more fatigued on top of inflammatory problems in his shoulder, it, it leads to uh, uh, the pain in his shoulder <clears throat> to where his bench can't be as much. And a lot of it stems from uh, his his lack of uh, lat engagement and it's, it's not, like I said, it's not a knock on Brian. We've, we've had a few talks about it in the past, and he's actually getting a, a lot better about it. Um, but it's just one of those things, unless you're taught and somebody else is watching you, you'll never know that you're having that issue. And it's it's it comes down to that's why at some level you have to get a coach who's going to help you with that minutia, the smaller parts. But you can't get there if, you only, if that's all you worry about. Yeah. Yeah. And then we got into talking about, it's problematic we get a lot of younger lifters that are starting out and they're spending 87% of their time worrying about the minutia and 13% of the time or less worried about just building a big ass base you know which Brian doesn't have to worry about anymore he spent I don't know how long you've been lifting 
10 years? 10 years. So, nine years, you know, just just lifting and, and moving heavy shit. So, and not so worried about the perfect form. You know, his form wasn't shit. Obviously, it's not shit because he's squatting eight. What'd you squat at your first meet? Uh, 765. Yeah. So, 765 at his first meet in mowing shoes and no belt and no sleeves. So... Um, from there, it's okay. Now we need to work on the minutia. Whereas the other people get so wrapped up in minutia. I think what well, we got started talking about this too is with diets. People start talking about you know they sweat the exact macro when their basic diet is crap. So <laughs> or they're not eating enough in the first place to support their goals. So you know we got talking about that and basically yeah you need to. Brian is at a point where minutia means a lot. And that's what we were talking about is like for him to make great progress now, let's say go from 903 to 950, we need to fix little things. To go from 405 to 800, you need to sweat the big things. So, I mean, that needs to be where most of your concentration is on. Not saying that you don't, you don't work on form, you don't work on the little things early, but most of your concentration goes on if you're a... If you're a 250-pound man and you're squatting 405, you're, the, the majority of your com, the, the concentration needs to be on just getting stronger, you know, and time under the bar. Um, nobody cares if you have a perfect squat and it's 405. You know, oh, that was technically perfect. Yeah, technically perfect crap. Um, so, and that's kind of where we, we built on. And then, you know, we talked about his squat, too, uh, which you worked on a lot, you know, in between the last three meets. You know, meet one, it was just come in and squat and show everybody, look, I can squat 763 on just basically doing it. To then the next meet, eight something. To the next meet, you know, 90, what was it, your third meet, 903? Yeah. Yeah. So third meet ever, hit 903. Um, There was a lot of progress in there, in form. Um, And that's where his biggest biggest gains are going to from. I mean, I don't know. You think you can get much bigger than you are? I think if I actually try and work on my diet and get my water down and really, really eat enough, I think I could get a lot bigger and stronger. Yeah. And I think something I really need to work on is uh, getting under that squat bar at 60, 70, 80% and really thinking about how I would squat with 900 pounds on my back. Because sometimes I'll, you know, I'll grab 700, 600 pound squats and just kind of do them. You know, and I'll do like a three-quarter rep. I'll only come up about three-quarters of the way. And I like to pound those uh, kind of like a piston squat out for a set of five. Because, you know, that's kind of what what a bodybuilder would do. You know, you want to hit that time under tension and build your muscles up. But I need to really think about how I would do those lighter weight squats that would benefit me more for when I get under a heavyweight squat. But besides that, I think my deadlifts are pretty, pretty similar to uh, training and competition. And my benches, I probably need to work on my bench too and make my bench more like it would be for competition when I'm just doing lighter weight. Yeah, I think Brian hit on a good point. Uh, we've had a lot of conversations because me and him lived in the same gym. Um, and I would point it out to him. And he, he's made a conscious effort since then about even when you're doing reps, it should be say you're sitting to do you're doing a set of ten, it should be a set of ten singles under under 
uh, basically one unrack. Uh, they should be moving it with a purpose. And a lot of people also get into the point of, I'm going to do these, this set of 10 as easy as, as possible with the least amount of effort to do 10. Where each rep should be, you know, max effort to well, like you'd be moving your max weight. And then it gets set ingrained that whenever you get under a squat bar or under a bench or you grab a deadlift, that all you know is one speed, no matter no matter what it is. And uh, this also brought up uh, a point in my head that we talked about earlier about <clears throat> uh, weak point training. Basically, Brian's just now figuring out where his weak points are. He's, he's built such a big base with how strong he is, which is unheard of to be as strong as he is, and just now figuring out his weaknesses, which shows how big of a ceiling that he possibly has. Um, <clears throat> and that's where a lot of people get into, and, and we had this conversation earlier, about constantly going up to their maxes and not getting any stronger because they're not attacking the, the weak parts of their lift that's holding them back from, from making that max higher. And all they know is I'm going to go max out and it leads to injury because you've not fixed the issues that you've had at the 70 to 80% range. All you know is to push through the pain that you're having to try and hit another max. It's never going to come. No, yeah. And uh, both those points I'll hit on. We'll just hit on the weak point areas. I mean, that's, that's another one about picking minutia over the big things. Um, like I think it was Windler was like, you know, talking to some guy and he's like you don't have a weak point you're just weak you know at a certain point you you don't you know you know you're, you're just your entire body can be the weak point you know if, you, if you're squatting you know 315 and you're again a, a, a large male you're just weak you, know? you don't need to worry about your your rear delt and your this and that the majority of the time you just need to get stronger but then you start getting up to max weights and and yeah, now okay, now we need to pick away at the minutia again. This minutia being the weak point, what's causing the failure or the miss the miss movement in the lift? Um, you know, with Brian, that's at eight fifty nine hundred. Um, but and then the other thing is, like they were just talking about, is treating lifting more like it's competition. Um, maybe not in how psyched up you get, and I don't I don't think I can get as psyched up as I can in a meet. Um, I get myself up for heavy lifts, 90% and stuff like that. But one thing I preach to my lifters, like one of my Olympic lifters recently was having issues. She had stage fright, I guess is what you'd call it. She'd get on the big stage and, okay, now it's time to put up these numbers. Well, I explained to her, like in my head, through my whole training cycle, let's say I'm doing a three-month training cycle, 12 weeks or whatever, leading up to a meet. Even when I'm 12 weeks out and I'm working with lightweight, 70%, in my head I'm, I'm hitting my goal weight during those 70%. I'm not squatting, you know, 500. I'm squatting 800. Every one of those reps is like, this is 800. This is 800. This is how it's going to feel. This is how I'm going to do it. Every week, you know, up to when I'm hitting 700 singles. That wasn't 700. That was 800. This is how I'm going to treat it. I treat every single rep exactly the same. And like Dal was saying, you're not doing a set of 10. You're doing 10 singles. And every one of those needs to be perfect. If rep three is messed up, okay, I fix it on rep four. You don't go right to rep four without thinking about it. Okay, what, what went wrong? Okay, fix it. Okay, if I can't fix it on number four, shit, what, what's going wrong? Fix it on number five. You know, every single rep, you take at least a second there to register how to feel. Did anything go wrong? Nope, it was good. Okay, repeat that. And until you can hit a set of ten that are just spot on. And spot on doesn't mean rep ten may be 
freaking hard because it's rep 10, but it needs to be needs to be spot on as far as form. Yeah, and, and with that, people talk about the only time you can really see weaknesses is under a max load, uh, pushing a max weight. But if you treat your squats like that, anybody with a with a decently trained eye, if you're moving maximally against a sub-maximal weight, will be able to pick out that you're moving incorrectly and be able to see your weaknesses under a lighter load to where you never get to that point of risk and injury because you're moving improperly under a load that can hurt you. Yeah. No, yeah, I agree. Yeah, because let's say we give a kid 70% and he squats it. we got 315 on the bar, and the first rep he comes up and gives 320 pounds of pressure, just enough to move it. Um, and then the next rep we tell him to go as fast as he can, he shoots his hips up. You know, you see that all the time. The hips shoot up out of the hole, and then he kind of good mornings it up. Sure, sure, he still makes the lift safely, but it was inefficient, it wasn't right, and he just showed his weakness. Hamstrings aren't pulling right, probably a little back weakness too. So, and that's another thing. Plus, I mean, you can't understate the training benefit of it. Like, I would rather see somebody, we're doing 70%. I would rather see a set of five killed than a set of ten just gone through. I mean, you're going to get much more training benefit out of it. You're treating it just like the competition lift. And I've said this to people a ton of times. When I'm deadlifting 750 or whatever it is, they see me pull 500 super fast. They see me pull 750. Of course, it's slow. It's it's 95 percent. You know, I'm not trying to go slow with it. I'm trying to crush it just as fast as I did the 500. So you know, you train yourself to to do every lift that way. Um, the only time that we change it up, I mean, we'll see if these guys agree. Is now assistance work? It's a different thing. It's not a competition lift. So usually what we have people do is, okay, now it's time to do like Brian was talking about on the show, mind on the muscle, this and that. We're looking to attack that weakness. So, Yeah, and I think a lot of people go entirely too heavy with assistance work. Um, you've already – your body can only handle so much load through a workout, and especially as weeks tack on, that uh, when you go too heavy, you have to start compensating with some point. And, and you'll be able to hide a lot of weaknesses – with your assistance work if you're doing them improperly with too heavy of a load that'll eventually show itself and lead to injury in the next two to three weeks and then uh the the good part with keeping it a little bit lighter is you can actually if once you get in tuned enough with your body like what brian talked about you'll be able to start feeling those weaknesses because those are the points that are starting to get fatigued first and once you get that down you know it's fatiguing first and you can kind of change around your assistance workouts to focus more on those areas to bring them up and then when you go into another assistance workout that involves more muscle groups, those aren't getting fatigued first. So the bigger areas are getting getting able to come along, and it just starts to compound on top of itself. And that's basically how you build that base to make your ceiling higher is, is picking out the one thing that is the weakest, working on that first, and then slowly stair-stepping and domino effect the, the entire body. Um, and then, like, where people can get away with weaknesses is uh, improper movement. And that's where we get to you need to have an eye on somebody with an eye on you because, like you see with a, with a squat is an easy one to, to put an example to. Somebody can move a weight great, and it moves fine. You don't see any, like, their, their knees cave in or their hips shoot up. But they have a, uh, their back in a super arch because their core is not strong enough. And everybody just looks at their squat and their death and be like, "Oh, they moved that move, that weight moved great." But what's going to happen is, is they have a scissor, you know, a scissor squat or open scissor squat that's going to lead to back problems. 
and then when they get to a max load, they're going to get folded in half and going to lead to either back issues or hip issues. And then we're talking about longevity. You know, yeah, they can get away with it. They've built up enough compensation in their wrong movement to do it. But over time, five years from now, where are they going to be at? We'll give a, I forgot when the phone rang. So the phone rang a second, a little bit ago. Sorry about that, guys. But that was another strong person calling. That was J.P. Price giving us a call. So I'll call you back, J.P., here in a minute. Let's get Brian's take on some assistance work. Well, something I, I really need to work on personally is just getting my diet better so I have enough calories in the day to actually make it through my assistance work like I like I want to. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, I'd hit, hit, the, hit the heavier set for the squats and you know, and Phil had written like a five by five and I'd do three. And I said, that's all I got today. So that's all I do. And I, most of the time it was cause I had a, sh- a shit day at work and I didn't eat what I wanted to. So, you know, just getting, making sure you got enough food in your tank to get through all your assistance work is kind of a big deal when you're a, a big guy. Now I'm gonna make I'm gonna make Brian wear a GoPro every time he goes to the gym, and he's got to go Facebook Live with me, so I make sure he makes it through the whole workout, so I can yell at him. <laughs> no, and that's I mean again, like Dal just mentioned to me, it's you know it's not only um, it's not only calories, it's also just being able to build up over time a an endurance capacity for this type of training. Sure, everybody sees powerlifting as it's a strength sport. It's probably as pure as you can get in limit strength. I mean, much more than Olympic weightlifting, which is much more dynamic. But the endurance base comes built into being able to make it through a training cycle or one training day. Um, like I've talked about this a lot with Ben, Ben Moore. When I first you know, started helping him, his, uh, his training was like, okay, I'll go in a squat and then I'm done. And uh, he was done is why he was done. Um, so, you know, we had to rebuild some kind of endurance capacity. Now he can crush workouts that are, you know, a page long. So, and that then leads into, it's not, you're talking, the greater benefit isn't right now in this one training cycle. The greater benefit is at the end of the training cycle. Now he's built up the capacity to make it through tougher training. He can recover faster. Um, you couple that with a not totally shit diet, and now we're getting somewhere. So... Yeah, and that gets on top of uh, as as you get more advanced, your timetable is going to have to change. Um, you've always most people have heard forty five minutes to an hour and a half workout, and then if you if you go past that, you start to get catabolic, and your muscles start to break down, and it, you're basically doing more harm than good. Most high level strongman and powerlifters, and even Olympic lifters, they're just getting warmed up in an hour, and uh, like. Me, whenever I was getting ready for competition, my last competition where I squatted 843, warming up to 800 pounds, especially because I'm not built like Brian, um, I'm 240 pounds, I have to rest a little bit longer because that load on my system is so much more than it is for Brian who's close to 400 pounds where he can just, his his 700 pound squat is like my 400 pound squat. It's something I can recover from really easy. It's still a load on the system, but it doesn't take as much out of me. Once you start getting above six and seven, and you're doing sets in that area, three, three sets might take 30 minutes. And that's just my first workout. And like as you get more advanced, that timetable kind of starts to change. 
and you'll get into things where you start to looking at total week volume rather just than just uh, than just one workout, but that's kind of a little bit further down the, down in the weeds than we're probably going to get. But building up that cardiovascular base to go three hours and not just blow yourself out, and then that's also where it gets into knowing how to attack your assistance work. If you're going too heavy on your assistance work, you'll never make it that far. You won't you won't get through your workout, which is basically you're going to hit your main movements, none of your weak points, and you're not going to get any better. And it, it might come down to separating, you know, having a heavy squat and a heavy deadlift day, and that's you might do some core, and that's the day. And then the next day in the week is a lighter squat and a lighter deadlift, and you start hitting all your assistance work. No, and that's one thing I've been talking about on the show a lot recently is the differences in... I'd say all of us in here would probably rank up towards elite as far as training, our training, what we're able to do for our physical bodies. You know, we're we're not beginners. So, I mean, basically what we do is going to be different than somebody who's intermediate or beginner as far as assessments work. Like my beginners, their total amount of stuff they do is usually much greater. But the total amount of damn, even if, like, let's say, me, Dal, Brian, and a beginner all have to do a five by five squats. The amount of stress that we put on our body at the same percentage compared to somebody new, even though it's the same percentage, you know, what we're putting our body through is much greater. So our assistance work generally, yeah, we do it, but we're not doing seven different moves. We can't handle that. That's too much stress, even though, you know, even though it's basically the same on paper, you cut it in real life, it's not the same. You know, we can't handle that much stuff, so we have to get a little more targeted as well with our weak point training. Whereas with a beginner, let's say they have, they're a beginner. They have a ton of weak areas. Like we said, their their whole body is their weakness. So we can attack multiple weak areas at one time. Whereas, you know, with us, it's like, okay, I need to squat. My hamstring's weak. I'm going to attack those. I'm going to do some abs. I'm done. You know, with them, it's like, okay, squat. Let's get your hamstrings. Let you get your low back. Let you get your, you know rear delts and let's get this you know we can attack 14 different things in one session and now they're just as tapped as we are after hitting three so um and that's where rest recovery diet things like that become even more crucial as you go up in your training age or your you know your ability so and that's again why bringing drawing it back in here you know we need to pick at that minutia more than somebody early on you know, they, they need to concentrate on the big things. But, um, pain, you wanted to touch on that? Lead us uh, off. Uh, I was actually going to go into more. As, like we were talking to Brian, one thing that kind of led us into this conversation was him talking about diet. And, uh, and it's something to think about as you get more advanced that you, you kind of have to have an honest conversation with you and whoever's involved with you about how far you want to go with what you're in. If it's a hobby, then then it's a different thing and you can you can just focus on the lifting part of it if if like with brian he's starting to chase you know maybe all-time world records in the next three to five years that like he was talking about diet and uh overall health and it's sometimes you shouldn't you shouldn't sacrifice your health but at some point you kind of have to to a minor degree to reach what you want and that's where you have to have the conversation with you and your family about this is how far I'm willing to push it do I have your backing because as as all things in life is stress and 
you have to have a good base in your family and your foundations around you to go after those goals that you want. And that's that's kind of along the same lines as having a base to lead, to to ultimately reach uh, reach your goals. Yeah, yeah. No, it's what, the one thing we've talked about a lot is uh, it's easy for a kid to come into me and say, "I want to be the next strongest man in the world," but then you have to sit them down. Okay, that's your goal. That's a great goal. Here's what it's going to take. Are you willing to do all that? And rightly so. Most people aren't. That's why there's one. There's one strongest man at a time. And there's like six people competing for it, or whatever it is, you know, because the the vast majority of the population isn't willing to give up or put themselves through what it takes to be the best, and that's okay. I mean, if if everybody was, then we'd all be Brian Shaw and Hathor, um, and then it wouldn't be so amazing. But yeah, you have to sit down and have a honest conversation with yourself and your family, and say, "This is where I want to go. This is what I'm willing to do to get there." You know, I'm willing to do this to make it as far as I can. I'm not going to take that step. And you have to set your own boundaries. I mean, and nobody's, there is no right or wrong answer. I mean, we've been talking about performance enhancing drugs a lot on the show and things like that. There is no right or wrong in my eyes as far as those go even. It's what's right or wrong for you. Um, That's all a personal decision. I mean, we know they're being done out there. Um, I have lifters that want to go. I want to go as far as I can without them. Okay, let's get there. You're not going to be world's strongest man. Let's just be flat out, you know, truthful about it. Um, and then there's ones that, you know, say I want to be world's strongest man, and, you know, they're naive and think they can do it without that. And it's like, okay, now it's time to have a real, okay, let's get real and <laughs> talk about this. This this is really what you're going to have to do. So, um, yeah, you have to sit down and talk about that, and part of that's diet and nutrition. And, you know, with Brian, yeah, it needs to be dialed in some. But then at a point to be, what are you weighing now? 370? Yeah. At a point with somebody that big, and hell, even somebody my size, two, I'm 260 now, I competed 275 last meter, Dallas size 242. Um, at some point, it's just calories. You, know, you can't eat uh, broccoli and rice and chicken breast and expect to be 370. You know, there's going to be some other stuff thrown in that if you look at the food pyramid or whatever healthy diet you want to follow it doesn't fit well you don't fit you don't fit their their protocol you know 370 in itself is probably not healthy so as far as longevity goes and yeah you have to sit down and talk about that and then another thing that uh, it's just your 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 body itself we were joking about all of us we get out of the car here after four hours and we're all like and stretching out and you're gonna go through pain it's part of the deal. I don't know an elite athlete in any sport that's like, man, I just feel great today, and they're not dealing with something. You know, I feel great on days where I'm dealing with just a couple things. It's like, man, I feel great. Only my ass hurts or whatever. You know, it, but you're always aching. You're always in some kind of pain. I don't have anything to say. You don't have anything to say on that. Yeah, Brian doesn't hurt. Brian's got such a big frame that it's like, ah, my toes hurt. Yeah, uh, I can definitely chime in on this. Um, but it's with any elite athlete. At, at some point, you've developed your body to perform a specific task. And when you're not performing that specific task, it hurts. That's why you'll you'll see uh, even, even sprinters, like when they're slowly just jogging, they look in pain. But when they start sprinting, there's zero pain. And uh, or, or like... Uh, 
strength competitors, everybody when they first start moving hurts. But once their body gets primed to doing what it's used to doing, what you've basically built your body to do, that pain becomes pretty pretty minor and and basically shuts off. And this is your body, your you know subconsciously, this is what you know you're supposed to be doing or what you've built that body to do. You've built a big ass engine to, to drag down the strip. The hardest part's getting it to the front line. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, it's like a vehicle, like my truck. It rides like a lumber wagon until I throw a load of wood on it, and then it rides like a Cadillac. It's meant to pull shit. You know? Yeah, and then the, when when family or friends see see us walking around or moving kind of slow, uh, and, and I'm sure any elite powerlifter, strongman, or Olympic lifter can say the same thing that. Uh, most of the time, their family's like, are, are, you, are you sure this is right for you? You look like you're always in pain. Um, but then they see them do something that is incredible, that 99% of the public can't do, and that's when it kind of clicks. And it's like uh, there's a guy in Phil's gym that doesn't look like he could do anything, and then he box jumps, a 60-foot box jump that nobody would think that he was capable of. It's just you... Unless you, unless you, it's one of those things. Unless you know, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't that be anything you say on that, Brian? No, Brian's being shy. Um, yeah, no. I mean, it'd be like, like I said, going back to vehicles. Like me and my wife, when we got together, uh, got to talking about, you know, me versus her, and just athletes in general. And I was like, yeah, I'm a dump truck. You're a Prius. You know, <laughs> and. She was, at that point, she had got done shortly before that of running 100-mile marathons. So she had built her body up to be able to last long, long endurance at a, a, a lower capacity. Whereas I was built to move heavy, heavy loads over short distance and use lots of fuel. Um, you get good, you turn your body into what you want to do over time, over many years. And it becomes very good at a specific task. And that's where, I mean, if we wanted to get into that subject, we'll save it for another day. It's like, at some point, anybody that's going to be great at any sport, unless you're Bo Jackson, um, is going to concentrate on one sport. And you're going to get real good at that one sport, and other things are going to go away. Like, when I decided to be good at powerlifting, I had to, I largely dropped most of my running for distance. And I dropped this, and I dropped that. and it was, But I was willing to, again, sitting down with yourself, am I willing to give this up to go after that? And uh, if you want to be great, you have to. You know, I, I can't tell you a great... I don't know a great powerlifter, for instance, that could go out and knock out a good 50K time or something like that. It's just they, they don't go hand in hand. But um, You got something to say on that? Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people get stuck in this, like what Phil was talking about. I'm a powerlifter. I'm an Olympic lifter. And they, they, they attach their identity to it. And that can become kind of unhealthy because in these sports, you're you're going to deal with injury. And uh, as long as you can realize that that's a part of the sport and realize that it's not going to be constant progress and knowing how to, to back off when you're injured and not attach yourself to those numbers, like what Phil's had to do several times after he's had surgery, is, okay, now this is a new PR. And uh, a lot of people get stuck in, in glory days or, or thinking it's all going to be linear. And then they get their identity wrapped up in it. <clears throat> and it becomes almost a, a toxic thing because they don't know how to deal with when they need to back off and let their body heal and forget those numbers for a little while. 
they, they lost themselves along with the injury, and they don't know what to do. Yeah. We'll come back to you here in a minute, and we're going to talk about some stuff with the Arnold, where we're headed to. So, All right, guys, we're back. Um, now we're just going to do some Arnold predictions. We're like I get, Again, I said, we're in what? We're in Indianapolis. Indianapolis, Indiana. We're uh, six, eight hours into our drive. So, um, so our asses are all hurting, and we're going to give you some Arnold predictions as we head over to Mr. Jim Wendler's house to shoot the shit with him. And hopefully draw him out to the Arnold tomorrow. So, what do we want to start with? I guess Strongman. Let's hit up the deadlift. What do you guys think? Who's going to do what? 500 kilo deadlift. Is anybody going to do it? I think Halfwood's got a good chance as long as along with Brian Shaw. And then uh, I'm not as up to date on on some of the lifters, but there's a few Americans that can probably do it other than Brian Shaw as well. What do you think, Brian? I got my. Uh, I'm rooting for this guy named Martins. Martins Lissis. I don't know for sure how to say his name, but I'm, I'm excited to see he lift somewhere here in the United States. So I'm cheering for him. Cheering for him. I think, I don't know, just watching the videos, man, both, definitely both Shaw and Half Thor have a shot. I mean, they both hit, what, they hit 950 or some shit. Half Thor pulled over 1,000. So, and it was in training. So they were both up there, yeah, 1,000-ish. And both look smooth. I think Half Thor's looked a little. His was about a week before, I think, and it looked fast. And then Brian's was a little slower, but that comes a bit down to also how they're built and how they lift. You got grinders and you got people that are explosive. So I mean, I think they both have a hell of a shot at it. Especially, you know, like that was going to be when Brian put it up with. I think that was his last heavy session of the before the Arnold. So now it's like once he's uh, recovered and ready to go, I think there's a. We could see it fall. That's a huge accomplishment. Plus, it's a lot of money, so that's going to drive people. But Dow just took a wrong turn, so I think we're heading to uh, Tallahassee or something like that now. So, what do you think about the... Uh, <laughs> so, they got the big award for that. What do you think about who's going to win over just overall, the whole competition? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to pay attention to the road yeah, now. Yeah, if I had to go off the top of my head, I think uh, uh, Brian or not Brian Hathor's got a good chance of winning it again this year. Uh, didn't he take second last year by a slim margin, or did he, he win won it? it he won year. it last year. Uh, this shows you how up to date I am trying to navigate through this traffic. But yeah, I think he's got a good chance. Uh, he's gotten linked in with some pretty smart coaches. If you watch his training. And it seems to be that he's never having a down moment because of how they, they program him pretty well to be peaked for this. And I think that that's going to lead him pretty well into this competition. Well, I'm kind of partial to Brian Shaw because, I mean, we share names. So. And he's from Colorado, so that's kind of like a local boy, kind of. So I'm, I'm cheering for him also. But I just like seeing people move the heavyweights. So I'll cheer for anybody that lifts heavy. Yeah, I don't know, man. That's a it, it's it's going to come down between them and the god the guy from Poland or whatever it was that took second last year. He's a, he's an up and comer. Um, I think what Half Thor has over Brian is, I think Brian's close to his ceiling, and Half Thor's still on his way up, man. That guy, <laughs> he has a frame that could still be filled out, and uh, I don't know how much bigger Brian can get. Um, they're both amazing athletes, but uh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean. It's uh, it's interesting this competition over the world's strongest man because it's so heavy. But um, 
we're gonna let Brian take over here. He's our uh, yeah, you're taking over. You're our local bodybuilding specialist, so you gotta get us going on that. So I'm the fattest one in the truck, but uh, I'm the bodybuilding specialist. I used to read the magazines back in the day, and I was uh, the only one that I've heard of. I mean, I've heard of Brandon Curry. He's gonna be there, and uh, Roly Winkler. I always kind of liked him because he's he's humongous. And if he can get his stomach kind of trimmed up, I think he can do pretty good. But, I mean, besides those two, I don't know who else will be there. Maybe Dexter Jackson. He's kind of like, he's kind of my one of my favorites because he's 52. He's still hitting it. But I saw a couple pictures of him recently, and he was looking huge. But I don't know if he's going to be there, so we'll see. Uh, besides that, I, I don't even know any of the new bodybuilders because I, I haven't been in it for a couple years. What else have we got? What was the sport you wanted to talk about? Fencing. No, it wasn't fencing. It was the other one. LARPing. 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 Yeah, competitive LARPing. Dal is a uh, a real aficionado on LARPing. He's a professional, elite. He's got an elite total and uh, elite total LARPer. Um, no, we get <laughs> that and cup stacking. Um, he's got amazing skills. Um, I don't know what else is going on. We got the XPC, I think powerlifting meet. I don't know who's in that. Um, I know who's taking pictures. That would be Jamie. So if anybody needs their picture taken, go over and talk to her. Um, and then uh, I think Ray Williams is lifting at USAPL meet along with some others. So that should be good to see. I mean, I'm sure, I don't know, Ray's probably just got that tied up as far as heavyweights go. Um, I don't know anybody in that federation that, that can even hold a candle to him. Um, and then Olympic weightlifting. I'm not sure who all is there. It's not a huge meet for them. I know we've got one competitor uh, this year. We had numerous ones last year. So I'm going to vote on our guy. Our guy's going to take it all. Um, and then the expo, the real winners. we got all the expo people. We're going to go visit all our buddies out there. We've got, uh, you know, Mark Bell's out there with his booth and with Jay Boss. Uh Matt Vincent with Hate Brand Goods. We've got Mike with Throw Bros. We've got Camille and uh, Dave Lipson and Andrew Charlesworth over at Thunder Bros. Things like that. We're going to go visit with Jim Windler. So it should be a good time. And then speaking of Jim Windler, he is giving a code out, which Lonnie will mention, for Iron Radio listeners only for 15% off of all purchases, meaning apparel and books, which his books do not generally go on sale, so it's a good deal. Um, like I said, Lonnie will give that code. I don't remember what it was called. Weekend Nachos, I think. Yeah, that was the code. Weekend Nachos, all uppercase. So you can go get in on that. That's going to be live from Sunday to Wednesday because we normally, even though it's Friday here and we're on our way to the Arnold, uh, this doesn't air until Sunday. So I talked to... Jim and Juliet, and they're going to make that live for everybody. A little Arnold special. Um, I don't know. What else are we going to do? We're going to go hang out with Windler. Watch we got a bunch of... of yeah, go watch some Dan over at Highland Games. He's going to... He told me he was going to just crush Spencer all day long, all weekend long. He was talking mad shit on Spencer Tyler. Uh, he said Spencer's just... He doesn't have what it takes to beat him. Something like that. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So it should be a good weekend. Like I said, it's always a pleasure to to be able to come down here and uh, catch up with Jim and his family, Jim and James and Juliet and everybody. But until next week, everybody, I hope this was good enough for you. 
shoot us a line. Any questions, always drop us a line. And we will talk to you next week. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store, one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry, and they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun, heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org. And um, let us know what you think on the forums. And certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.